Well, good evening. Glad you're able to make it in tonight, and um, uh, I am as well. Uh, those of you who don't know me, my name is Brian, and um, I'm normally here. I wasn't here last week because uh, my wife had just given birth, and so, uh, yeah. So little Jack, little Jack William, thank you. It was a lot of hard work, <laughs> um, but uh, I made it, made it through. Um, uh, no, Angela did, did, uh, did a great, great job. It was a very smooth um, uh, delivery and, and labor and, and no complications. And, and uh, this is you know, our second child that's now been born. And, and so we have Henry, who just turned two in, in February, and now we've got Jack. And uh, every, you know, the last two times we had this, this baby, you know, it's like we're still in the delivery room. The doctor's like, wow, that was so easy. You guys should do this again. It's like, that is not what my wife wants to hear right now. Um, as, as moments late, you know, before she was like, this is, we're never doing this again. <laughs> right? So, uh, so that, that's how that works. Um, it's not that bad ladies. So they say, um, <laughs> Natty, actually, let me, in my defense, Natty, our small group, uh, um, coordinator, she, she has actually said that getting a root canal, it was, is worse to her uh, than having children. And I've had like eight of those. So we're like, I'm like, I'm doing great. No, I'm just kidding. I haven't had <laughs> Um, anyways, no, they're, they're doing well. Uh, you know, Jack is, uh, he's little, he, he was only seven pounds, two ounces, not only, I mean, it's a, a healthy baby, uh, but Henry was eight eleven, And so Jack is still smaller than Henry ever was, you know, so it's just kind of a weird, you know, I've never held a baby that small, you know, before and, and, uh, but it's fun. So I'm, uh, I'm running on a little, on, on fumes. Uh, and a lot of caffeine, so I'm a little, little jittery. I'm a little wired. Um, I was about to say, just kidding, but I'm not. It's, um, it's true. So give, give me a little bit of grace tonight as we get through this this passage. Um, and uh, yeah, and as, and as Paul Paul read it, it's this a this is a difficult passage. If you're visiting, we've been preaching through First uh, Peter, and that's kind of how we do a lot of our preaching here throughout the years. We just pick a book of the Bible, and we will uh, systematically just walk through the book. Um, and why that's a good thing is because I wouldn't like pick tonight's passage to like preach on. Uh, we don't we don't skip around. And if all of a sudden we skipped a couple verses here and there, um, those of you who you know have been attending and, and reading your Bible along with us as we go through these passages, would go, oh man, I really wanted to hear you know what what this means or or what this means to us now and in, in Lower Town or or the church and. And so that's why we, we do it that way, and, and it challenges uh, me as a, as a speaker and as a pastor um, to really dig into something that um, I need to dig into. So, um, so that's that. Um, some of you in here may remember this, but this is uh, uh, an image of West Germany and East Germany uh, during Soviet Russia when they had control of East Germany and then East Berlin. So there's kind of that, that little square on the, uh, I've got a little fancy laser pointer here. So this square here um, is, is zoomed in at this little spot here where Berlin was. And West Berlin was kind of the free area that was part of West Germany. So it was completely surrounded by East Germany and East Berlin um, that was under uh, Soviet control. And, and so we, you know, as the United States, we were trying to help in, in this free area and country. And this is where we had the Berlin Wall. And the Berlin Wall went completely around um, what we would know and what we would call um, uh, West Berlin. And um, uh, Will, you can correct me if you were probably there, weren't you? I don't even know. But um, uh, anyways, this is back in, in the 80s and 89, the, the wall came down. Uh, so I was just a kid when this happened. I don't, I don't really remember that. Um, 
And, uh, but it was, this was a big deal, okay, where we had uh, uh, East Berlin and, and West Berlin. And so there was this, this huge wall, right, that, that ran, ran around it. And this is just an image of, of kind of what they had of, of these, these guard towers and, and an actual, and we're going to be talking about politics tonight, and I'm using a wall analogy. Don't, I'm not making any references here, okay, so don't, don't read between the lines too much uh, for me, please. Um, but so there was this big concrete barrier that was there, and then there was kind of this no man's land in between and some barbed wire and that kind of thing. And, and so you had this area of, of um, East Berlin um, that was under Soviet control, and then West Berlin that was free. And so I want you, if you, if you can, put yourself in somebody's shoes who lived under Soviet uh, communism in, in, in that area. And, and every day you, you walked uh, to work. And every day you would walk by this, this guard tower, and every single day a soldier would point his gun directly at you and tell you, get down on your face. What are you going to do? You're going to get down on your face. Right, this guy, this guy uh, has authority over you. He's got power with his weapon over you that he can take your life and probably not uh, suffer any consequences, that he could say something that you did that, that re required him to shoot, uh, whatever it may be. And then he's got complete authority, and this happens every single day. Well, in West Berlin, there is a uh, benevolent, very kind benefactor, if you will, and they dig a tunnel underneath the tower and underneath the, the wall and, and they rescue you as one day as you're walking, they're out, out of sight of the guard tower and, and they grab you and they say, come, come with me. And they're, they're pulling you through. And so you're kind of halfway in between, right? You're, you're not quite free, but you're not quite totally, you know, underneath this uh, West or East Berlin's control at this point. And so there's a reason why I'm going to go. I'm going to come back to that later on and hopefully make that a little bit more clear um, but, but when we talk about this idea of being between two worlds, that's going to be become, that's going to become very clear tonight. That the Apostle Peter has been talking about how we live in this world, but yet we're not residents of this world. That our citizenship is in heaven, but yet we live here. We're foreigners, we're resident aliens, we're in exile here in this, in this land. And so we're kind of in between these two, these two worlds. And so um, tonight, we're going to see that even when it comes to politics and, um, and, and, and the government as far as being our authority. Who is our authority? Um, all right, let's, uh, I want to go back a couple, couple weeks. Uh, uh, this was two weeks ago. I, I preached this sermon on, on living stones in 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10. And, and over and over, we're going to see this foundation, this foundation that's being laid. He, he literally calls Jesus Christ the chief cornerstone, that he makes up the foundation that, that the entire church, our body, is being built up into. And so I, we use this language at Hope that we are elder-led, governance team-supported, staff-run. And this is something I want, to, I want to beat into your minds and into my mind, but we are member-mobilized. Um, here at Hope, that, that it is about us and the church and the body of Christ being built up into living stones that are, that are doing things, whether that's here in the building, volunteering for things, or whether that is um, doing things out in the community. And I want you to be thinking about that and different things that are going to be coming up that we've planned for the year. Um, how, can you, how can you help? Uh, because it's not just about me. It's not just about the interns doing things. It's not about you know, my, my wife. Um, it's we're, that we're here as a team. And we are built on the chief cornerstone. And so I want you to be thinking about that, being member mobilized. And, and to quote Leonce again, uh, Leonce Crump, he's a pastor in Atlanta. 
He says it's not that, that we, the church, that we have this mission, or I, or I have this mission, and, and I, you guys can help, which, which we do need that, right? We just had four of the five women that were pregnant, right, just gave birth in the last four months. We've got one left, uh, right? And so there's, we're, you know, at a, there's a lot of babies and a lot of tired parents, and so you know, we, can, we can use some help, right? But it's not about, I don't want to guilt you into that. Um, and, but the idea, though, is that you have a mission, church, and what is it that we can do? How can I help you accomplish that mission? How can I enable you? How can I introduce you to certain people in the neighborhood and community that you might need to and want to uh, uh, meet and get connected with? Um, and then last week, Pastor Kaur, uh stepped up to the plate uh, for us because we were uh, in the hospital, and, um, uh, which was great. Uh, the hospital is not great. That's not, maybe that's not the best thing. But the baby, baby's great. Um, and it was a uh, good God, good lives, good God. And I'm just going to read the passage that he covered. He says this, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. So again, here, this is your, your status is in Christ. He's your foundation. He's your rock. He's your chief cornerstone. But yet again, you are foreigners and exiles. And I want you to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. There it is again, this in between two worlds. I've been set free. I'm in Christ, right? And yet there are sinful desires, which wage war against my soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that they, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day that he visits us. So we're, we're visible to the community and that people should be able to see us and say, wow, what, there's something about these individuals and that this is all about God's glory. Um, so this week, uh, the good civil life 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17. I'm just going to read this passage again, and then we will uh, walk through it. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. To, oh, let me say this real too, uh, quick too. 1 Peter, we, we, this is the one negative side of, of preaching the way we do, that we take you know, two or three verses at a time. This is all one thought. Okay, So we, we cannot forget the, the chief cornerstone that we're founded on, that we are in him, that we are united with him. And then he's going to tell us now, okay, this is how to have godly living. This is how to be holy. This is how to be seen in the community in one way that we can glorify God and do good things that people would observe and give God the glory is by submitting yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk and foolish people. Live as free people, but do not, do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves and show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. I do want to give just a quick word on politics because it's not really what this sermon is about. Um, a couple months ago, this summer, we did a series on cultural dogmas right after the midterm uh, election, and uh, we, we talked about that. And so if, if you're interested in just maybe Hope's position and where we're at, I'm going to talk about it briefly here, kind of recap what I'd said a couple months ago, but feel free to look that up. I forget which week it was, six or seven, but it was um, cultural dogmas in the summer, the, the waters in which we swim. But I want to just say this. Um, I quoted Tyler uh, St. Clair. He's a friend of mine. He's out in Michigan, uh, in Detroit. And, and he, uh, he was at, speaking at some conference in Ohio, I think. I don't remember where exactly. But uh, he, was, he was speaking on this passage that we're going to cover tonight in First Peter. 
And, and he said this, at least I, he said, we worship the Lamb of God, not some donkey or elephant, right? That, that we don't put our trust in politics, that we put our trust in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, but yet, in between both worlds, we're still, we're still here, right? We, politics still, still matters, still influence our community and our society, so, so what, do we, what do we do with that? And so I, I told him that, I saw him a couple weeks ago, and I was like, hey man, I, I actually quoted you a few weeks ago. And I was like, this is, you know, this was it. And he was like, I didn't say that. I was like, what? Yeah, you did. And he goes, no, no, no. What I said was we should worship the Lamb of God, not some donkey elephant. He's like, because we don't always do that. And I was like, ah, I see what you did there. You are right. So I want to make sure Tyler is correctly quoted here. Um, and then we use this graph. And, and again, I, I made this. I'm not a graphics guy. Um, PowerPoint graphics here. But as we see these circles of whether you're Republican or Democrat, right, and we say, yeah, okay, are, can those overlap? Yeah, I think they can. But then we have ultimately that we are in the kingdom of God and that he is our highest authority. And how does us and our being believers and reading scripture, how does that influence then our politics? And so um, that's, that's all I'm going to say about that. If you want to know more about that, you can talk to me. But um, that's kind of in the back of our mind of where we're at. But I want to be looking at um, this aspect tonight of submitting to that authority, submitting to the emperor or to the president or uh, our government, whatever you may say. What does that mean and to what extent? Uh, I'm going to skip, skip that. Okay, so who are we submitting to? What does Peter say here in this passage? He says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor. All right, so that would have been their supreme leader, their dictator, if you will as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him, uh, maybe a local government, if you will, to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. So what's interesting, though, what Peter doesn't do is he doesn't name who this, who this emperor is. Who is this emperor that, we, that is the supreme authority? And in the last phrase, he's going to say, honor the emperor. He doesn't name names. And I, and I think he does this for a reason. Because I think what Peter's doing is not saying, hey, honor Claudius or honor Nero, uh, which one of those two, which I'm going to talk about in just a second, he doesn't say that. He's, I think what he's saying is uh, honor the empiracy <laughs> or the presidency, if you will, right? Honor this position. They're in a position of authority over us. So whether to the emperor, we need to submit ourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. So who are these individuals? Well, the, 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 the bust on the left there, um, is uh, Claudius, the one on the right is Nero. And, and this is significant. Uh, I'm not going to go into, a, I'm, a, I'm a history guy. I, I think scripture just comes to life when you, when you get into the history of, of what was going on at that time. Um, but these two guys, they, they weren't like good guys, right? If, if you ever run for office, don't like take the name emperor, whatever. Like that's never like a good thing to be emperor of something, right? It just seems like you're, you're just selfish and you're, you're, you're a control freak and, and you probably killed all your siblings to get there and it's never a good thing to be, to be emperor, right? But Emperor Claudius, uh, what we see most likely is that this book was written at the tail end of Claudius, the beginning of Nero. In other words, it wasn't illegal to be a Christian, but yet there were still some things that would have been unfavorable in society to be a Christian. And so I wanna, I wanna read uh, Karen Jobes, and, and I quote her a lot. She just has just the, just the best, she has hands down the best commentary uh, on Peter, and so I do quote her a lot. Um, she says this, the relatively optimistic outlook reflected here 
comports better with, uh, with an earlier decades of the church, toward the end of the reign of Claudius or the very beginning of Nero, uh, which I already said. So this would have been in the, in the early 50s A.D., at that time, Christians were socially and perhaps professionally ostracized in various ways. All right, and, and again, this just even reading what she says about this, this is why I think First Peter is so applicable to to us right now. Right, that is, as you in the workforce and, and whatever it may be, that if you go out and you have certain certain beliefs that you're not going to be sleeping around with people, you're not going to be uh, uh, cheating and, and, and crunching numbers in a wrong way in order to get a promotion or whatever it may be. So, you, so in various ways, perhaps professionally, you might be ostracized, and some of you might be going through that simply because of your beliefs, simply because you're a Christian. It says she says this though, but. They had not yet suffered state-sponsored persecution as a matter of policy. Because it wasn't until Nero uh, burns down Rome, suspectedly, but then he ends up blaming it on the Christians, and then it is law. Then it is illegal to be a Christian. And there's mass execution of a people group. So they had not yet suffered state-sponsored persecution as a matter of policy. As long as the church enjoyed some protection from the state's suspicion, uh, of a new religions by virtue of association with Judaism, Peter appears to be hopeful that it could, could, could maintain a measure of good relations with the state, at least to the extent Judaism did. So that is who Peter is saying submit to. It's not a, it's not a, it's corrupt, but it's not corrupt to where it's killing Christians yet. Okay, so we got to keep that in mind. So then he keeps saying this word, he keeps saying submit. Right? What is all right, that's, uh, who is that? Uh, Demontoyo, is that where, wherever his name is from? Uh, sure. All right, you keep using that word. It does not need, what is it? Inigo Montoya. Uh, yeah, right, you keep using that word. Uh, I don't think it means what you think it means. Uh, my son did that today. We were, wa- we were out for a walk, and he, and he fell pretty hard. And I was like, oh, are you okay? And he goes, no. And then he got up and started running again. I was like, I don't, you know what no means, right? And normally that's a bad thing, but all right. Um, but submit, what, is, what does that mean? Submit, when I think submit, it means like, like I'm going to do everything that this, this thing says, right? Or, or whoever this authority is over me, like submit? Like I'm just not even, I'm not even supposed to put up a fight. I'm just supposed to just do it, right? Is that really what, what it means? And I'm going to refer to Douglas Moo. This is actually his commentary in the book of Romans uh, that the apostle Paul wrote. Uh, but he used the same word, submit. And, and so, so Peter and Paul, in the, in the Greek, it's, a, it's the same exact word. He says, so what does it mean to submit to these authorities? This word usually commands Christians to recognize that they stand in a certain hierarchy to others. When applied to rulers, then, submit means to recognize that a hierarchy exists and that we stand under the rulers in that hierarchy. Normally, therefore, submission meant that we obey what they say. Right? That's, that's what submission is. And there are laws. Right? There, are, there are speeding uh, limits. I can remember the speed limits. Speeding limits. Um, the, there are speed limits. There are, there are so many different things that, that happen uh, in our society that are, that are laws that we say, I'm going to submit under that because I don't want to ticket. Uh, I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want you know, the, the guy who's doing, you know, what is it, the person who checks housing things. Zach, you're redoing your house. What are they called? Permit people. Inspectors. Thank you. Again, I'm, I'm a little jittery. I'm a little wired right now. Words aren't coming to my brain. Um, 
right? We, we submit under those authorities, right? And if we don't, there are consequences, okay? But then he goes back and he says this. In all of Paul's, and I will add to this commentary, Jesus and Peter's hierarchical structures, however, the uppermost authority, though not always mentioned, is God. And Peter just did that. He just said Jesus is the foundation, that we are chosen before the foundation of the world by the Father, and that the Spirit enables us to, to submit and enable to, to God and to obey and to be holy, and we are carried along by God, the, the, the Son, Jesus, and we are sprinkled with his blood. That is, the, that is the structure, that it is God over us, and then, so he says, in all of Paul's structures, however, the uppermost authority, though, is not always mentioned, is God. He stands at the top of our hierarchies. What this means is that we must always submit to those over us in light of our ultimate submission to God. In certain cases, this might mean that we will disobey the authority immediately over us in order to obey our ultimate authority. I want to go back to that illustration. At this point, benefactor, isn't, you're not just stuck in between. You're, you're, now, you're now in West Germany. You're, you're, you're free. You are a free individual. Now you're going to go to work. You walk by the same guard tower, and the guy recognizes you. He sees you, and he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. What's that all about? And so he looks out that window, and he swings his gun towards you, and, and, he, and he says, hey, get down. At that point, you might be tempted to get down because you have always been under his authority, but no longer are you underneath that authority. You can now say, right, you can make smiley faces, you can do whatever you want to do. You, don't, you have no authority over me. And that is exactly what happens in this passage. And this is where we get to being in between these two worlds because of this hierarchy or, or this old master, if you will, it might be a, a, an evil government, but I think when we get into this passage, we really look at the heart of it. It's, it's sin, and it's slavery to the law, and to death, and to Satan. And we've been set free from that by a, 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 a benevolent benefactor named Jesus Christ. And it, the cost of that was his blood. And so there are times when that old master is going to look at you, and he's going to say, get down. I need you to sin right now. And before, we didn't have a choice. We got down on our faces, and we sinned, and we were tempted, and we refused to disobey because we had no choice. But now we've been set free. Now we're on this side. We're in the free territory. When we hear these old voices of, I need you to sin, now we can say no. But so many of us, so many times and so often, we get down and we give in to the old master that no longer has authority over us, but now, because we've been set free and because Christ is our highest authority, that when somebody who may even have authority over my physical body tells me to do something, what Peter here is saying, because my highest authority is Christ, that I still can say, no, you, you no longer have authority over me. You are not my highest authority. Only God is. Romans 13 the passage that Douglas Moo is talking about in, that, in those quotes, 9 and 10, it talks about loving your neighbor. That loving your neighbor is, the, is, is the, the greatest commandment in Scripture. And then Paul goes on to say, love does no harm to a neighbor. Love does no harm to a neighbor. So if the government says, I want you to treat a people group subhuman, it is our right to say, no, 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 no. Because my highest authority is God, 
And he commanded me to love my neighbor. And so therefore, I'm going to do that. If the government says anything contrary to scripture, if they shut these doors and they, they lock it up or they burn the building down and they say, you can no longer assemble as a group of Christians, I'm going to hold up my Bible and I'm going to email all of Maybe that'd be bad because I could probably trace the email. But somehow I'd get a hold of you and I'd say, we're still going to meet because that's all we've been called to do. Even if the authority says no, which they're not, at least right now. And we could say, no, I, I don't need to listen to you. Because you're going against what my supreme authority has said. And maybe in moments, like over human history, there might be times that might cost us our lives. It cost Jesus his, it cost Peter his, it cost Paul his. Uh, Martin Luther, uh, he didn't end up getting being killed by the state or by the church. Uh, that was his authority. But there was a moment where they said, Luther, you need to recant everything. You need to all these books and all these pamphlets you've been writing, like, you got to stop this. And he stands at the Diet of Worms in front of the emperor. Again, bad, bad one. Okay, don't, emperors are bad. Okay. And he stands in front of him and he says, he says, I, I will not and I, I cannot recant. Here I stand, God help me. And he says, I, I'm willing to die in a nonviolent way for my God and my Lord and my Savior. So let me quote uh, someone that was named after him, Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. I love this, what he says. He says, nonviolence is a powerful and just weapon which cuts without wounding and ennobles the man who wields it. It is a sword that heals. I mean, that, that, that phrase, it is a sword that heals. Nonviolence. And then he says this. Violence as a way of achieving racial justice is both impractical and immoral. And not to try to misquote Dr. King here, but I think you could take that, that line of racial justice and leave that in there, or you could take that and put anything else in there. Some, some social justice issue that you're really passionate about, and to say violence as a way of achieving anything like that is both impractical because it's probably going to make you take a giant leap backward than moving anything forward, and it's also immoral that we're never commanded in Scripture to pick up the sword. And Jesus lived that. And again, if, if love does not harm my neighbor, then I have to ask myself, well, then who is my neighbor? And my neighbor might be the guy over on the other side of the fence pointing a gun at me. My neighbor might be my enemy. What scripture says is, it's immoral. I'm to love them. J.D. Um, Barry, another uh, commentary, uh, commentator, says this. Peter is not suggesting that evil governments be ignored. Okay, so don't, don't hear that. Don't hear that if this, like, okay, so, so Nero flips the switch and he's just persecuting, mean, he's murdering people in the streets. I'm just saying, well, just, just take it. No, that's not, that's not what's going on here. Peter's not suggesting that evil governments be ignored. If we have an opportunity to change the institution, we should. And right now, at least in our country, we have that opportunity. We can vote. You can run for office if you want. Right? There's, there's things that we can do to mobilize and to make, make changes, and we should. Instead, Peter is suggesting a peaceful approach that is full of conviction. Uh, last night, I forget what time, it was probably like 2 a.m., uh, I started watching a uh, documentary on Billy Graham. 
And, and it was really cool, actually. I, I, you know, I, I, I didn't grow up, you know, uh, really doing much with, like, doing much with Billy. Um, nope, I didn't do anything with him. Um, but I didn't, I didn't study him. I didn't really learn a lot about him. I never went to a crusade and, or anything like that. Um, my wife actually did. Uh, she, I, she told me that this morning. I was telling her about the commentary, and she said she had, she had gone to one, and that was really cool. Um, where was I going? Billy Graham. Oh yeah, Billy Graham though. Okay, this was he was actually friends with Dr. King. I, I didn't know that that aspect about him. Um, I'm off script right now in case you couldn't tell. But so but Billy Graham did this. In one of his crusades, he was in, in, in the in the Jim Crow South, right? On a Jim Crow law. And and he and he, he had a, a conviction that there shouldn't be racism. <laughs> Imagine that, right? And so then he he then says, no, 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 there shouldn't be segregation at a Bible conference called the Billy Graham Crusades. Right? It's not a thing. All right, so, so he went to the chief usher, because there were, all the, all the uh, African-Americans were in the back and the nosebleeds and the cheap seats and all the white people were sitting up front. And he said, take the ropes down. I don't care who, I don't care where you, this is not a thing. At least not, not under this house and when we're preaching God's word. And the chief usher said, no way am I removing those ropes. And Billy was like, this is my, this is like that's my name on the marquee. You know, this is kind of my thing here. Take the ropes down. And he didn't do it. And he quit. He walked off. And then Billy, he went up by himself and started taking the ropes off. Why? Because I think this is what exactly is happening here. That if we have an opportunity to change, let's do it. And he was in a position of power and authority. And he said, hey, I'm going to go against the norm in the Jim Crow South. And I'm going to make a change here. And he wouldn't suffer any flack. But I guarantee that if an African-American man started grabbing ropes off, it would have been a different story. We have a position and a power to be able to make a change. However, the problem, that sounds kind of hard. Right? This nonviolent thing is maybe kind of hard and difficult. So why, why should we do this? Well, Peter makes it pretty clear. He says it's for the Lord's sake, for it's God's will. It's God's will that we submit underneath these authorities. And if we do need to protest, we do so in a nonviolent way the way that Paul, Peter, and Jesus did. Why? It's God's will. Um, God's will, and excuse me, trying to find out God's will when I was growing up was like a big thing. We were kind of taught that you had to like learn God's will for your life, and if you, if, if you ever, you know, kind of got off the track, there was no way to ever like really get back on the track. There was, it was, it was called the permissive will, all right? Like, hey, you screwed up, but I'm going to allow it to keep going on for now, right? It was, it was terrifying, right? So we were just, what is God's will for my life, right? I got to find this out. And then it's just like, man, there's verses right here, right? There's, there's so many verses of scripture, like, this is God's will. Well, what is, what is God's will? It says, do good. So what does it mean to do good? Yeah, and he says this, this is God's will. That by doing good, even last week, by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. That's somebody that would look at you or our church and say, man, you Christians, right? You, you, you Baptistic church, you. I don't think anybody would ever say that. Um, they're going to look at us and the way that we function, the way that we care for one another, and they're going to say things. They're just going to come out ignorant and foolish, and it's going to silence them based on our actions by, by doing something. I have a quote here from, uh, Ademeo, sorry, excuse me, I apologize. But he says this, Peter does not advocate submission 
because the systems are just, but to enable believers to witness in society. The aim is to bear witness and to avoid giving ground for accusations that Christianity is subversive. God's name must not be brought into disrepute. And that's exactly what he's saying. So what does Jesus say about doing good? How does that look like in a nonviolent manner against our authority? Matthew 5, 38 through 46 says this. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye, a tooth for tooth. In other words, equal payment, right? It's going back to Levitical law. If somebody does something to you, it's not saying, it, and it, it's, it's, such a, it's such a really badly miscommunicated uh, passage of like, if, if I lose my eye, then I like, hey, come here, I get to take your eye out. No, it's saying it needs to be equal payment. Because then right after that, it explains, right? Uh, pay them back, give them like eight donkeys, whatever it is, right? Like there's payments that are not just like, let me take your eyeball, okay? So it was always misinterpreted. But it's not, but it's equal here. But what Jesus says, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. And if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. I think Matthew, or Jesus, uh, does something very, very amazing here. In that culture, it's an honor and shame culture, that they did everything with their right hand. They didn't do anything with their left hand. It was, it was dirty. Uh, it was unclean. And so he says this, if anyone would hit you on the right cheek, all right, if, if I'm right-handed, which in that culture everyone kind of had to be, if I'm right-handed, I hit you on the right cheek, all right, I can either dislocate my arm somehow and whip it to hit you on your right cheek, or I can slap you backhanded across the face. Right, I, can, I can say in my position, you're below me, and I'm just going to smack you. I'm not going to start a fight. It's not what this is about. It's about me telling you who's boss. So Jesus says, if someone slaps you backhanded on the right cheek, you turn to them the other's cheek also. I may be your subordinate, but you're going to hit me like an equal. And in a way, a very nonviolent way, protest. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. In other words, you might as well just stand there naked in front of them. Are you, oh, you want my shirt? Oh, here. Oh, here, take my take my. Take all my clothes, right? And just, just shame, right? Oh, no, 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 don't put your clothes back on, right? I don't need it, I don't need it. Nonviolent way of saying, oh, no, 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 let me, let me be kind, right? Treat me as an equal here. If anyone forces you to go to a mile, that was a, a law in, in, in there that, that any Roman citizen could uh, force any other ethnic group to, to carry their stuff or, or walk with them for a mile. I said, go with them too. That's where that, go, go the extra mile, right? That's, that's what that phrase comes from. Give to the one who asked you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. He continues, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise in the evil and the good and sends rain and the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing right? Which I love because Matthew, the author of this book, was a tax collector, right? Jesus is probably like, hey, no offense, Matt. Um, so people do, right? People are, are usually pretty nice to people who are nice to them. But to do something kind to somebody 
in return for something they've done evil, that's what it means to live under the kingdom of God. And then Jeremiah says this, Jeremiah 29, says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles, okay, same, same word that Peter's using about the church in the New Testament, the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So they're underneath Babylonian rule. He says this, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there. Do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. You, church, are in exile. Seek the welfare of the city and pray to Yahweh on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And those words still ring true in Peter's time, and they ring true today. Karen Jobes again says this, Peter's exhortation here is prefaced by a claim to divine authority. It is God's will, not simply Peter's, that Christians do good, even in pagan societies. For by such behavior, they will silence the slander about Christianity and all the more so that they are publicly recognized by the authorities for good works that, they, that benefit their city. So that we can do, and I want you to be thinking about this, I really do. What can we as a church in this community in St. Paul or, or anywhere in the cities, what can we do to be member mobilized? What can we do to actually make a difference that the city would go, wow, this whole community church, it's, it's, they're making a difference here. And if we just closed our doors, what would the attitude of the city be? I want to make a difference, and I think you do too, because we've been called to do that. And then she says this, it is difficult to square this teaching with any worldview that recommends strict separatism from society and with move, uh, withdrawal from civil responsi civic responsibility as a legitimate Christian lifestyle that we're not just supposed to leave. So now we, we serve a new master. It was a kid's song I used to sing when I was little. Uh, um, I forget it. One of the lines was serve a new master. So there it is. We serve a new master. All right, he is our king. He's our Lord. Now when somebody says something contrary to scripture, Jesus is our ultimate authority. It says this, live as free people. We're in West Berlin. <laughs> but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Don't use my freedom as an opportunity to, to stick it to them or do acts of violence and say, well, I'm forgiven by God. He says, live as God's servants. Live as God's slaves, that he is my ultimate authority. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. I want to just uh, end with one, one quote just to clarify that last phrase of honor the emperor. Um, Karen Jove, she spends a lot of time talking about what, what could this mean and, and quotes a lot of commentaries, but then she says this, most likely the statement is a comprehensive reference to all contexts in which, Christian, uh, in, in which a Christian lives, social, ecclesial, spiritual, and political. While the syntax and the precise structure of honor the emperor are difficult to decide, the thrust of the exhortation is clear. Christians must live well by giving each type of relationship its due. So in closing is gospel application. Do you serve a new master? Right, maybe as you were hearing this, I was just saying, man, I, I didn't know that Jesus like bought me with his blood. I didn't know that he, he came and rescued me from slavery to sin, from slavery to death, from slavery from Satan and set me free to be with him that I can now call my master daddy. And know that you serve a new master.
But if you haven't, if you don't, then tonight can be the night. And then secondly, do you realize that you have been set free from your old master? You're free now. What that means is that when you're tempted and you hear that old master saying, just do it, you can say, no, no, I don't have to do that anymore because I've been set free from the law, I've been set free from sin. And finally, I don't have this up there, but again, you've been member mobilized. We have been mobilized as a community. What are some ways that we can really impact this community? What can we do to see our good deeds? This isn't about doing some Billy Graham crusade, right? Like crusade that's full pie anyways right now, right? But it wouldn't be going out into the, into the, into the lawn and just, hey, we're going to just preach the gospel out here and see what happens. I don't, I don't think that's what Peter's talking about here. What can we do good to seek the welfare of the city that they would look at us and say, they got something, and I want that. So as we enter into communion like we do every week here at Lower Town, I want us to keep in mind that we have been set free. We have been bought, but we were bought with a price. And it was the blood of Jesus. And the juice that's in these little cups represents the blood of Christ that was spilt for your freedom. And the blood that represents the body of Christ that was broken for your freedom to say no to sin. Uh, if you need a, a gluten-free option, there's, there's that on this left side here. But as we do, we're going we're gonna to sing an extra song tonight. Uh, we're going to do uh, three songs tonight. And I just want you to take your time, pray, um, talk maybe amongst yourselves or your, your spouse or whoever you're sitting next to. Man, how, how, what, can we, what can we do? What, what is there something we could do? And we'll have time afterwards for that as well. And as we pray and as we repent and as we just glorify God for all he's done, and as we lift up our voices together, would you do that with me? We're going to sing a song called I Surrender. It was actually a song I, I think I sang it every single week growing up uh, during the invitation is what it was called. And I had to have sung that song a million times. Like, I, I surrender all. But the truth is, no, I don't. Because <laughs> I'm constantly bowing down to my old master. So I want you to think about that. I want you to sing that and I want you to pray that. Now in this moment, say, I Surrender. Surrender all to Jesus. Will you bow your head and pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are our highest authority. You're not our only authority, but you have given us governments and, and police and armies and those kinds of things that are designed for our protection. And God, I pray that as we submit under those institutions, that it would bring you glory because people are seeing your bride and church function as a body and as a benefit to our society and our community. And so, God, you get all the credit, you get all the praise, you get all the glory because you're the one who gave us your word that has taught us how to react and how to treat people like equals because they're all image bearers of you. So God, we thank you for your son. We thank you for his death that set us free from that sin and from our old master. God, I pray that you would now be glorified in our time as we remember what Christ did for us as he instituted that sacrificial meal so many years ago. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.